2: about what you want. It's about what you're willing to do to get it. Run it again. Hello and welcome. I'm not going to. So quit asking.
0: When you give me a hard time. For the listeners that didn't get to go, this is the payback. Alabama wins! <laughs> what you did last year really doesn't matter. Our goal is to have the kind of team that nobody wants to play.
1: Time. Hi.
2: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. And fans, have we got truly indeed a treat for you? I'm going to jump straight to the show. Very little preamble, but we have a longtime podcast listener, uh, Texas high high school football coach. Uh, He joins our support calls, our virtual tailgates, and is always sharing just incredible football knowledge. And so Jordan, we've had Jordan join us this evening. He's going to talk football. It actually ends up being a pretty long uh, interview or discussion, and it's mostly uh, just Jordan educating us Uh, on the game of football, a little bit of the high high school context, things about coaching that maybe most of us don't know. And it's just a joy uh, to listen to. And I I really think this is just perfect off-season content. And I think you guys are just super duper going to enjoy it. So at this point, let's hand it over to the interview. Go. Hey, welcome back, Alabama fans. And have we got a treat for you. Tonight, we're joined by current high school football coach, Future coaching legend, you heard it here first, long time podcast listener, support team icon, and our football whisperer. Jordan, first names, right? First names for reasons we'll get to in a minute. Jordan, <laughs> how you doing tonight, buddy?
1: I'm good, Dave. Really appreciate you having me on. It's uh this is this surreal moment. I really do appreciate it. But um uh, good to be here and ready to talk some football.
2: Fantastic you know Colin Cowherd calls it a meat sandwich I'm going to call it pizza toppings all the way to the edge let's jump in we've got some really good uh, stuff to talk through it's going to be a little bit uh you know we do these interviews and it which run through the positions and the opponent and all of that it's going to be a little bit different in terms of format so we'll see uh, we'll see how this plays out but uh, I think we've got a lot of lot of uh great topics that that we can spend some time with Jordan why don't we start maybe tell a little bit about yourself you're a high, uh, you were a college football player and and then a coach as well, a quarterback coach, passing game coordinator, going to be an OC. Uh, talk to us a little bit about uh, you know your background.
1: Well, Dave, I did uh, did play high school football and then played two years at a small Division three school in uh, in Texas, and got hurt one year, and it was kind of one of those things where I did my two years, and my heart really wasn't in doing all that rehab and all that stuff that needed to be done, and I was ready to move on with school and and coaching. I knew that's what I wanted to do. Real quick, when I was in high school, a guy approached me about coaching this seven-on-seven team of like seventh graders. And they pulled seniors from the high school team and they did it. And it was after football season, it was in January. So it was cold seven-on-seven games. And I remember I wanted to be a sports broadcaster. And after the very first practice of that, I remember going home to my mom and I go, mom, I'm going to coach and teach. And she kind of looked at me and she goes, you've always wanted to be a sports broadcaster and like Keith Jackson and, you know, Eli Gold, listening to him growing up. And I said, no mom, I want to coach. And so that's kind of where it all started. I'm still in touch with that guy that runs the league. And I tell him all the time, he screwed me over by making me coach that team that year. But um, that's kind of how I got started and um, kind of been all, all over the place and went to a couple transferred a couple of times in college, you know, did, did grad school, at the capstone, and all that good stuff, and uh, got back to Texas because I always wanted to be a Texas high school football coach. You know, and I'm sure you and I'll get into it a little bit later about trying to make that jump when you can to the college game. Uh, but my my heart was always Texas high school football, and I know sometimes in Texas we're some arrogant a holes about football and especially high school football. Uh, but I've been around other places, and there are other places that do it fantastic. Uh, but it's just something different in Texas, and it really is. Uh, you know, I had brothers that played in different states, and and it, like I said, there's good football everywhere. But just what it means and what it is, and to be a part of it was something I had always dreamed about. And so, um, man, just I did it. I did it the right way. Um, or you know, I, I don't, I'm sorry if that sounds arrogant, but I I went all the way down to, to junior high, and and just climbed the rungs from the very very uh, bottom. And I'd always kind of, you know, read and seen things about guys being able to jump certain levels. And, man, that first year, first two years, really, um, junior high, and then I was at a school where we had literally like 36 kids out total the whole football program. Um, I'm painting the field. I'm teaching seventh grade, eighth grade, tenth grade, eleventh grade. I'm the head basketball coach, head baseball coach. I'm running junior high track meets in full baseball uniform. Uh, we're going out painting. Like I said, painting baseball fields and taking my last period class out there. Uh, we're doing quarterback stuff and receiver stuff, you know, in the offseason while I've got my elementary PE kids playing tag and whatnot. Uh, literally did it all. Um, it was fantastic. Met my wife. All that good stuff happened there and learned so much um, doing laundry. There was times I am sitting there going, I graduated with degrees to do kids laundry. Uh, but it was just, it was part of it. And so then after that, I did my, you know, my time down there. And then after that, I was, you know, I was ready and hungry to move up and man just kind of moved around Houston area, uh, Waco area, Dallas area, back into the Dallas area, just kind of moving up and I've hit almost every classification in, in Texas uh, that you can coaching wise, size wise, when I say that. So in Texas 1A is six man. I haven't done that. <laughs> that's a little different game. But I've hit 2A all the way up to 6A. So um, it's it's hard to believe it's been 11 years already. My wife and I were talking about that the other day, and um, it, it's flown. But you know, it, it's that's the beauty of it is that I love about the teaching and the coaching is you know it adds up. But at the same time, every really July, if I'm being honest with you. It's new slate <laughs> yeah. it's a new slate and so um it keeps you hungry hungry and keeps you eager but man i just loved it the whole way through and i'm yes. excited for 20 more years
2: yeah no that's uh, that's awesome jordan uh you know i've known you know you've talked about being a, a quarterback coach and a passing game coordinator talk about talk about the positions that you've coached and uh and and maybe the trajectory uh you see yourself on in that regard
1: Well, I I played receiver in high school and college, so that was kind of my background. But one thing I've kind of figured out in the coaching business, and you see it with a lot of those guys, it really doesn't matter what your background is. It's whatever you want to learn to teach. So uh, receiver was always my natural fit, and I just thought I'd always be a receiver coach. And my one year at 2A, (laughs) the staff was so small uh, because the school was so small, you had to do a defensive position, and I get free safeties. And then I'm having to do it with the head coach, who's like this known commodity um, as a defensive coach. And he had just moved down a level to try to live his dream of being a head coach. And so I was so intimidated. And I remember writing everything down, learning as much as I could from that guy. Uh, taught me so much about defense, that guy did. And he always he always told us – Side note, Dave, I don't think I've ever told this, that first year or that second year of my coaching, but that first year I was doing all the varsity stuff, it was me and my two roommates from college. So we had gotten back together and one of them had played for him. And so we, I mean, it was just a blast. We were all three nice. single at the time, just working. And we all three met our wives at that job. All three got married at the same spot. And he would always sit us down and, he, you know, he called us the three amigos. And he always said, he goes, all right. My goal is whenever y'all go make it big or y'all leave me and go to bigger, better dreams, I want y'all, you know, I want some groundwork of foundation foundations that when you do things, you'll be like, I learned that from me. So that, that was just absolutely extraordinary. So I learned a little bit of defense, but predominantly was receivers I did a little bit of tight end. Um, I tried to dip my toe in some O-line stuff when I could. Uh, But about, oh, four or five years ago, had a position opening on a staff I was on. And I just went up and put in for the quarterback spot. And it's something I had always kind of kept an eye on and helped out. And, you know, just wasn't in very interest of me because of all the mechanics that go into it. And so I went in, you know, I had been keeping my Dabo Sweeney binder ready. If I ever got the chance to interview for quarterback job. And I went in and I got it and he moved me there and, you know, I hit the ground running and, You know, I'd never played quarterback, but, you know, I I studied my ass off. It's really what I did. And I just went and talked to as many coaches as I could, high school, college, junior college, junior high, uh, didn't matter. Anybody that I thought knew anything about throwing the football, I went and talked. Um, Well, you know, family got mad at me. I went on Christmas Eve and talked to a coach in his office on Christmas Eve about drills and uh, whatnot. And. You know, some, sometimes I had to use my own money to go to clinics and sit down and with, guy, with uh, scientists and biomechanics and motion people, um, you know, bi- biomechanic textbooks and just trying to break it down. Uh, because I'm one of those people, when I start doing something, I want to know everything there is about it. And I want those kids that, like, when something goes wrong, I want them to be like, hey, this is why, so that they can have confidence that the next time they do it, they'll know how to fix it and make it better. And so that's, that's really where I've been. But I mean, you know, if something popped up back at receivers or whatever, you know, I would be and not tied to the position uh, because as we all know, as football fans, you know, coaching the quarterback position, can kind of be, you know, it's usually tied with the OC, not always. Um, So, you know, and some of those guys are kind of particular about who coaches um, quarterbacks and whatnot, but it's definitely something that I'm very proud of the move and very proud of the work that I've put in with it. Um, But to me, I would say my natural position is probably receiver. And so I still catch myself looking over there from time to time, but uh, you know, but I like, as long as I coach quarterbacks, I'm all in on them. And so I've been, um, you know, just as much as I can learn. Anytime I see something that deals with quarterbacks that I can go and listen to, or I can go talk to somebody, I'm, I'm there. So
2: that's awesome. Uh, Jordan, you know, you talked about quarterback coach, you know, passing game coordinator, you know, which really gives way to, you know, offensive coordinator opportunities. How would you characterize your approach to offense?
1: Um, I'm so most of the time I'm the quarterback, the coach. It's like, let's run the damn ball. Cause it's less stress, you know, more hair. I get to keep on my head that we don't have to throw it. I fell in love coaching lines with the Mike Leach's mesh system, <laughs> ran it um, in college uh, was the slot receiver where you run the same route every time for your safety read. And so I enjoyed the simplicity of it, the funness of it. Um, so I always thought, you know, if I ever got a chance, I'm going to chuck it around just like Mike Leach did. And I'm going to go forward and 4th down and this and that, and we're going to throw the ball 60 times a game. Um, but as you get into it, you know, you really kind of understand the balance and and that you need to stay somewhat balanced um, to be successful on the field. And you know what, if you've been gifted with five – outstanding offensive linemen and a good running back then let's use them and let's get those guys the ball and let them do the work and one year when i was in houston we had five outstanding offensive linemen three of them are playing division one college ball right now and i had a young quarterback that was 14 years old making his varsity debut at the highest classification in one of the toughest districts in the houston area and uh you know, I, at first when we started switch the offense, you know, I never said or said anything, but I was sitting at home telling my life, "Like this is going to be the most boring season I've ever had," and I couldn't have been more wrong about that. Um, I learned a great ground and pound system that it really was. Uh, we, you know, two tight, three tight, kind of sta- old Jim Harbaugh Stanford type stuff is what it was. Um, got a lot of the stuff from uh, Stanford's old line coach um, that's at Rice. So a lot of that stuff, um, you know, just closing down the box and, and, and not you know, hit some play actions, but a lot of bootlegs and it was just a different, and there's not a lot of stuff out on that coaching wise. Mm-hmm. So I remember I was having to unturn every rock and it just made me appreciate different styles of offense and how hard it was just to like, for me thinking here I am going to coach quarterbacks, we're going to be in shotgun. And then I come to find out the strength of our team isn't is quarterback that. and shotgun; it's under center. So I'm having to like dig up these books that don't even have a color in them of how to teach a snap under center because nobody does it anymore.
2: Nobody does
1: it, and but I and I <clears throat> learned so much. So to, long, long way, long winded way, Dave, of getting to it. I, you know, it's going to sound a homer, but kind of you know what Alabama can do is. You know, and that's the ideal situation, right? When you have enough talent where you can do a dabble in a little bit of everything. There's no doubt I like kind of spreading it out. But if you can give me a tight end, I'd rather have a tight end in the game. Um, whether that be the split them out, H-backs, I call it a sniffer a lot of the time. Uh, move them, moving him around in the back where he doesn't necessarily have his hand in the dirt. I like having that movable piece where if you need, you know, two backs, but he can kind of be as a back back there as a lead blocker. You can motion them out. You can split them out. I know it sounds like every offensive coordinator's dream piece, but even if you had the personnel, you know, just having that ability. And we had to do that this year. We had one guy that came in and, you know, we had to throw him a ball or two 50 50 is going to catch it just to keep the defense honest. And then the other guy that was more of a wide out, not as blocker, but anything where I can kind of space the field and still have the presence of a, of a power run game is, is what I, is what I have. But I mean, I've, I've coached damn near all of it. The, the veer, the wing tee. Um, I do like not, you know, quarterback reads a common one, but running midline out of the shotgun, like with Jalen hurts. Um, a lot of that video, I think that we showed some of that at the quarterback mm-hmm. school. We called it bash at the time when we went through it. Um, he's reading the three technique, um, and cause you're bashing the guy and, um, you know, or reading the nose guard, things like that. So I, I love all of that out of a more, um, Yes, spread set. But if he can give me eleven personnel with the tight end and a running back, that would that that's probably my ideal situation.
2: Nice. Nice. We've all heard the expression, you know, everyone should wait tables at least once in their life so they have an appreciation for the service industry. Translate that into in into coaching. What do you what do, what a coaches wish that fans knew and understood about the game?
1: You know, I think everybody says it. But I don't think they realize just the amount of time that they slash we slash I put in on all levels, on every level. I mean, it's easy for us, and I'm just as guilty of it, too. You know, Dave, how many times do we get on and be like, oh, those guys are out recruiting; They need to close the deal. You know, but I've got buddies, you know, and they'll be with their families in a recruit calls and they have to answer Right. And, you know, they have to leave their situation to go answer that phone call because getting that kid is more important and not necessarily more important family. But that's the job. And it's nonstop. You know, high school, most people don't realize this. And when I saw this question, it made me think of like when I, you know, when my wife and I first started dating and her family would just be like, oh, just take off and come with us. And I'm like, I I can't just take off. Um, You know, we worked a lot of times. I've been on staffs where you work seven days a week. Um, because Saturdays you bring the kids in and you watch the previous game, you work them out and you, you got to get all your stats and all your self scouting done from that week. And then you got to break down next week opponent. Then you come back Sunday and you got a game plan for them and set up practice and be ready for them to go as soon as they come in that door on Monday and have it already the roll. It's, it's, it's just a lot of time. And then obviously in the public school system in high school, you're teaching class, you're, um, you know, you're doing other sports and then you're working with those kids trying to get them bigger, faster, stronger and tweak on stuff in the offseason. So that's why I don't think it matters, honestly, outside of the NFL what level you're on. Because those college guys, you know, they'll get this week off that I know some buddies are out playing golf for about two weeks and then they're right back in it and they're getting ready for spring practice. And then it rolls and then they've got kids coming in for summer workouts and they're already starting game planning. So it just, I don't you know no matter the level it's, it's just a lot of time and, and it really is a grind sometimes. And, you know, but it's fun. Don't get me wrong. You sit around, you talk football. I mean, it's a, it's awesome, but there's times, you know, when you're sitting there and you're like, it's my kid's birthday today, right. <laughs> you know, and I'm going to get to see see him five minutes today. Yeah. And uh, you know, like, you know, not one of my youngest, her birthday's coming up in a couple of weeks Well, I got to, I got to help work attract me, you know? Uh, now we'll have a party some other day, but you know how it is as sure. a dad, just little, little stuff like that. And I know everybody makes sacrifices in their business, but, you know, and, and one more thing on high school coaches and my wife will tell you this is, especially in Texas, like summers are off, but you're not really off. Right. Um, right. We work four days a week and we're work because they, Texas changed the rules about eight years ago. We bring those kids up, and we put them through an hour and a half. We work out. We run them for 20 minutes, and then we're outside throwing. We get 30 minutes with them a day that we can coach them. Um, and so we're using that time all that we can, putting in offense, installing new plays, getting ready for um, fall camp every single day. And, again, now it's four days a week. You know, you're home by 1 o'clock, noon sometimes. Um, so it's not as, as grueling, but – um, you know, you usually take a week or two weeks in the 4th of July is a dead week in the state of Texas. So you usually get about two weeks completely off, but I'm not complaining. A lot of people have to do a lot more work and a lot more stuff that they don't like to do. But it just, I, sometimes I just don't think people quite understand the time threshold that it really takes. Yeah. And the other, the other thing is on the time is when I saw this, it made me think, you know, I've been on staffs where early my, where we weren't very good team and we didn't win a lot of games, but we still put in the time, you know, as I was once told is your job is to owe those kids the best high school football experience they can have. And if it means winning, fantastic. That's what we all want. But just, even if they're losing, like that's your job is to ha- give the kid the best high school football experience that they can have. Um, Cause it's the only one they're going to get. Yeah. So even, you know, I've I spent a couple of years that, out a team that didn't win a lot of games, and we were still up there working and grinding and trying to find find out a way to help those kids win a couple games
2: you know it's true i I played two years in uh in high school and boy, I was terrible but uh uh and there were you know during it, I kind of hated it, but there's almost not a week that I don't look back on it fondly you know, and so I think you know so few. High school players go on to the next level, but they'll always have that experience. They'll always sort of, you know, carry that with them. And, and, uh, you know, you always hear the expression, it'll be the last time they, you know, they ever suit up and, oh boy, that's so true at the high school level. And, uh, but it is something that, uh, you know, that they carry with them. So that's a, that's a great sort of lesson or, or sort of message that that individual had, you know, give them the best experience that they can have. Uh Their talent might be, you know, not whatever, but, you know. Let's give it the best and shit try to have fun you know in the meantime hey talk about um you know from the perspective of of coaches and 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 fans mm-hmm. sort of a couple 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 thoughts on you know play calling that's gotta be it's almost a loaded term. It seems like the hardest, easy thing or the easiest hard thing. there's so many tropes about you know just run the ball or throw it beyond the sticks, or everyone in the stadium saw that coming, why would you run that? And, and, and like, there's not play calling that doesn't trip over some of those, those wires. How do you manage that? Or do, obviously you probably don't even think about it, but what's your philosophy or your thoughts sort of on play calling? Uh, and again, how that may ju- juxtapose uh, from fans.
1: Man, that's a loaded question, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> it, it it's just, that's another one, maybe fans, although it, it's just so diverse and, you know, I think in our little group, I, I sometimes I feel like some of y'all probably get frustrated with me because I usually defend most of the time more than I criticize, especially on on play calling, because I, to me, I know I kind of understand how hard it is, and you know sometimes I think sometimes we kind of forget that it's just another person calling plays, and no, not everybody can do it, but when I say that, I mean that. How many times in our day-to-day life they, do we do something and you're like, oh, man, I just got cut off and I forgot to do this. Yeah. I forgot to text you back or I forgot to turn that on or forgot to turn that off or whatever it is. You know, sometimes you get caught in a game in your call and you're play calling and then you won't even realize you look down and you're like, I didn't get such and such the ball. We never ran this play. We didn't do that. And we had talked about it. We had worked it. And then everybody's, well, like, oh, you didn't do this and that. And it's like, well, we worked it. We prepped it. It just slipped and to me that's kind of what you know separates some of those guys that are you know the really truly elite play callers and and look I'm not going to lie to you it helps when you're at Alabama and you've got an army of analysts up there you know and one can tell you what you you know what you've called this and that you know because after every drive you know we always go back what did we call what was successful what formation we always make sure what or, you know I always make sure what formations that we show and then we get them lined up to that formation um, so that we could see it and chart it and, and go off of that and see if there's anything they're showing us or something they didn't show us um, along those lines. So, you know, I try to be respectful of, of play calling because it, it's it's not as easy, you know. Some people, and, and I know a lot of us know that, um, and sometimes there are just, there are moments, you know, not every coach is superhuman. There, there are moments where you're just like, what are you doing? And, you know, I, at Bill O'Brien, you know, I was a hot-button topic, and sometimes people were like, he got predictable, this and that, this and that. And, you know, sometimes I just don't think it's that easy. Of, he's just yeah. calling run, run, pass. And it's like, well, what is he trying to do on his runs? You know, can you tell me that? Did he run power? Did he run zone? Did he run split zone? Is he going outside zone, inside zone? You know, what formations are doing out of? Like, don't just tell me he ran the ball. And, right. and you know, again, I, I feel like, Dave in our group like when I feel like there's criticism you know I'll, I'll say it but I, I usually just try to be pretty respectful of that because a lot goes into it kind of foreshadowing here I, I didn't know if you to ask me the question like what do I look for when I watch the game it kind of goes to the same thing to me that's the most important thing is the play college of formations and that's the first thing I always look at when I'm watching a game what are they in that kind of tells me what they're doing what their idea is I, I formations fascinate me you know do you like you know the old school term is, you know, wide side, you know, boundary side of the field. So if the ball's on the right hash, you know, you have all the open field to the left. Well, you know, you get some of those crazy play callers now, Hey, let's throw trips into the boundary. And, you know, forever, everybody's like, well, you're making it easier on the defense because they can use the sideline. Well, now they've condensed on the field side and maybe you can beat them to the edge. Yeah. And so I, I love looking at, at stuff like that. Um, you know, and I, you'll probably – we can get to a little bit later, but um, when I was watching some of the Notre Dame stuff, you know, sometimes I had a pause it and I was like, man, he's got three tight ends in the game, double doves and this and that. And because that's the first thing I try to look at is the formation because as a play caller we go through what are our formations, what do we like out of them, how do they line up to them. Those are the first two things I've done no matter the level, no matter the coach, no matter if I was just a position coach, responsible for past game third down that i've been in charge of it doesn't matter these are our formations how do they line up to them and what do we like out of each formation and and that's kind of how you package it those those huge play cards that every hat has usually one side is broken down by formation so um what you have your runs out of it and if you have a tight end you know that formation what do you like weak side what do you like strong side and and sometimes you know especially at the higher up level you playing all week and then they come out and they don't line up like you thought they would. And so you're literally game planning on the, fly. on the fly. And to me, that's, to me, those, those are the elite play callers. Those are the guys that can sit there and see it and all of a sudden go, well, we need you to do this and this and that. And, and, you know, sometimes I'll admit I, I've been around people that could do that. And I'm like, Wait, what? You saw all that off one play? And it'll take me a couple plays and I'll be like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I see what you got. Um, but you know, in those high pack situations, you don't have a play of the waste. So right. um, but yeah, that 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 is that's probably the biggest thing. And if we always talk about halftime adjustments, that's your halftime adjustment. You go <laughs> back through and you'd be like, All right, this is what they're lined up to. We did not expect them to line up to it. It man, it is nice when you go in there and you're like, like man this is exactly how they lined up and it has it happens (laughs) but that that, that, that's the uh that's when when, when do you know
2: man you're all over my notes this is awesome when do you know when you have something you've worked on it you've prepped it you go you talk about you know the formations and in the plays that you like from 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 formations when do you know when you know, you you talk about maybe running a script or, or, you know, whatever it is to start a game. When do you know, like, that's going to work? This play is going to work. We're going to come back to it.
1: So most scripts are based on formation, not all the time. Everybody does it different. But so you go through your formations and see how they're going to line up to them. And so you've got basic plays out of each one that you feel comfortable with in that script that hey, I know worst-case scenario, I'll get this. And so this play will be successful. Just trying to stay out of negative place when you show all those formations. And really, it's kind of a two-sided question. It's what are you trying to achieve out of that formation? Yeah, Are you trying to achieve space? Are you trying to achieve putting somebody in conflict? Are you trying to achieve having a numbers game? Because in the run game, you know, a guy I learned from, you know, he used to always, he goes, you know, we're complicated sometimes, and we do all this and that. And he goes, Oh, right, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, five. We got five, they got four, let's go right. Yeah. And I, that's always stuck with me. When you draw up a formation, you draw up how you think they're going to line. And he used to always put a line right down the middle when you counted. Where do I have the half man? You know, do I have a half man advantage this side, that side? And it's just something so simple. And it's always stuck with me on the run games. And, you know, it, it, and that's what it is. You line it up. Where's the safety going? You know, that's a lot of the time. Where are they going to move that safety? Um, where's the nickel going? Where This and that. And so that's usually a lot of the time what you're trying to accomplish early on with those formations is just what are what are they trying to establish to take away? Or they're You know, we always say what dominance are they trying to establish? Are they trying to establish that this guy is going to dominate us? Are they trying to establish that we shouldn't? You know, we may be able to get this, but we're not going to get that. What dominance are they trying to establish? And so that that's that's what you have to do. And that's why, to me, formations fascinate me because that kind of man that can be the foreshadowing of what's to come.
2: You know, interesting the way you sort of broke that down and, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's head counts or, or, you know, you're looking for a certain amount of space or something, you know, talk about, you know, from, and, and, you know, from a coach you're going to see this in a way that fans don't, but you, you line up and, and they give you exactly what you want, but maybe the tackle makes a phenomenal play and blows up the run, or maybe a linebacker crashes through a block and, and, and sort of eats up the play. What's that thought where where you say that's gonna work? They gave us exactly the look we wanted. That guy just made a hero play. He's not gonna do that all day long. We're gonna go back to this. Back to this. Does you ever have sort of that dichotomy as a as a play happens?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, You know, we you'll start the formation. You'll put it on your play chart what you like, and then a lot of times that's where your individual position coaching comes in. So you know, if the line guys down there, you're like, hey. We've got what we wanted. We got this sealed. We got this here. Your guard's got to win that battle. Our, hey, they broke our double team on inside zone. We've got to stick together, but everything else lines up. You know, had the pass that we want, the safeties where we want. We got to hold up and protect protection. Back's got to get there. So that's that's where your communication really has to come in on the headsets. And um, you've got to trust those guys to get their thing fixed. But 100%. I mean, that's why those charts are eliminated make your little notes yeah. and just say, come back to it. And then the other thing is when you like what you're getting out of formation, then you can go back and list like, okay, well, they lined up exactly like I do it. We can pass out of this. We can run weak side, strong side, field side, boundary side. And you just kind of go through and list and add stuff that you, you like out of it. Um, Cause very rarely, at least on our level. Um, and, and I know, for college, it's you do maybe a little bit more than us, but still not a lot. You're not adding a whole lot of stuff at, at halftime, yeah. Because most people don't want to run stuff they haven't practiced. Now, if you, you feel like you've got a home run and you can add it to win a ball game, you're obviously going to do that. But most of the time, you're you know you'll you'll tweak one or two. Hey, here's a play we ran out of this formation, but we can do it in this formation. It only changes one rule. Uh, you know that, and that adjustment will kind of go to it. And some of that stuff you'll have to sit there and either try to get a coach to draw it up on the sideline or you'll have to put a star on it and be like, we've got to cover this at halftime. We've got to install this with our one rule change at halftime. And so that's, again, that's, when you have the army of analysts, it's beautiful. But like a lot of times at our level and even with like the 14 coaches we have, you know, you're still, everybody's got to make their notes. Everybody's got to make the, their stars and what needs to be done. And so real quick, like on the quarterback. On my sheet, I always fold my play sheet. On one side, I keep it blank, and I take a, the old uh, projector markers. They're hard to find, but Amazon still sells them. And I go in there, and I'll write down just the play call that we made each time. So two things. A, we, when we go back through the play sheet and call, I can see. And then B, when I'm talking to the quarterback, I, I'll, you know, this hey blah 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 remember we didn't do that hey blah blah, blah. you did a great job on this and then then just kind of give them an instant redown, yeah. Yeah. and then we'll get on the headset and we'll uh, be like okay we like this we didn't like this we might have got lucky on that don't anticipate coming back to that and, and so you make all your notes and then wipe it off and get ready for the next draft there you
2: go <clears throat> how about that
0: And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to
2: download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Let's, uh, I I want to go back to play calling a little bit, but in a little bit of a a, a different context. And and Jordan, I've been sitting on this question a while. I've been wanting to sort of pick your brain uh, on this. It just never has been the, the right time. You know, you are a, uh, a run game coordinator, or I'm sorry, a passing game coordinator. And so there's a run game coordinator and that starts to sound like co-offensive coordinators. And so maybe not in your particular situation, I'm not poking at that. But when I hear co-offensive coordinators, I start to wonder, you know, what type of struggle or additional sort of maybe struggle is the right word, but the additional sort of complexity that that adds to game planning and uh and and calling a game and especially sort of under live fire i think about you know egos we saw a little bit of that mm-hmm. at alabama with with gaddis and loxley uh, uh you know who got credit for the play and so if you've got the pass plays dialed up that you want someone has run plays dialed up everyone wants to call the play that scores the touchdown how do you manage that in in a game when there's really two people that have a, a shared level of responsibility
1: I've been I've been blessed to be on staffs that everybody checked their ego at the door and was able to make it work. And there was one year where I was a position coach and we were we were very successful at the at the six A level. We had a hell of a season. And we had a pass game coordinator and a run game coordinator. And Dave, I got asked that question by teachers in the school building, by parents, by my family, like how the hell do y'all make that work? I parents on opposing teams would ask me right like that summer in seven on seven how did y'all make that work and you just you got to have a healthy work relationship i mean you just do and like i said i was blessed where it would get a little clunky at times like it wasn't necessarily it was just like when to run when to pass that was more the clunkiness of it than, hey i'm getting credit or this and that um but, you, you know, and if you're trying to do anything with tempo, that's – you can't really do co-coordinators if you're co-calling it. But they co-called it for a couple years, and I thought we made it work. And um, a lot of times it would just be we get – you know, get a first down. And he – run game coordinator looks at the pass game. You want a shot? And he goes, no, 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 You've got – you know, and you have to literally work together. You just can't worry about the pass game. No, 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 no. You've got them outflanked right now. Go finish them up. Keep – keep yeah. running to the strong side and then he get another first down and then I got a shot. And so, um, do it. You, you really have to be able to work like that. It was a great situation with an older guy that fantastic. And, and, you know, he, he'd be, all right, I want to pass on the next first down, get your best play action ready, you know? And so I'd have my play action ready, but, um, yeah, it was funny. That one staff I was on, I mean, they literally would just alternate play calls. And I and it blows people mind, and they did a good job with it. Um, you know, they both knew it got clunky, but they both wanted to win, and that was the big thing. And like I said, it was never an issue of who's getting the call. It was just like, is it time to run or is it time to pass? Right. You know, because in the running game, coordinator would feel bad if we ran it on first down and lost two yards. So I shouldn't let you pass it. And, you know, a pass game coordinator feels bad if we're running the ball and he's like, let me take a shot. And he takes one and it doesn't work. So uh, that's the thing is, I mean, it's just kind of like anything, right? If you have that relationship, you can you can make it work. And that, that's, that's the difference. If those guys are on the same page, you know, you can make any of that work. Now, I don't recommend probably two people calling the plays in the same game. You know, normally you got to, kind of have what I think it works best if you have one guy that this is his play calling, but you know, if he wants a pass game or whatnot, that's what he um, you know, then he asks and you tell I've also yeah. been on staffs where like I was responsible for, for third and longs. Boy, that was a thankless job, right? right? Hey, or here's the play call that has the least likely chance of succeeding. Right. There and is. so the Yeah, and the coordinator will Coma goes, which third pick one out of the third and long package. And you're like I don't know. How about all goes? You know, it's 3rd and 15. What do you want me to like? Right. Uh, but, you know, so we got um, we would game plan third and eight plus. You know, we put our best pass game, draw plays, screen plays that we liked at a, you know, third and eight plus. And um, he would ask us and nine times out of 10, he would take my suggestion on on, on that because he trusted that that was my package. So like all week I had to look at what did they do on third downs what's their tendencies on third downs. Um, I remember one, and I'm not saying this is a brag, just, you know, it's always nice when the work pays off. Right. Is we look, Hey, when we get into a situation past the 50, they like the blitz from the boundary. Well, we got on that hash, we were past the 50, they brought the blitz. And so we just, it was like third and 12, but we hit a little tunnel screen and got down the first and goal and it and, you know, I always remember that one because it was the first year I'd ever done it and, I was, and just kind of re you know, if you put in the time and the work, you know, that's how it's that's how it's supposed to look like. Right. And, and reading all those tendencies and like that part made it nice because then the coordinator's not having to do everything. Um, right. <clears throat> so, but we have done it like that. Like he did most of the big packages, run game coordinator had second and short and third and short um, and so on and so on. Mm-hmm. I've also been one where... Uh, I did goal line packages. I was goal line pass package. So basically every play action pass on the goal line we did or, or whatnot. So it, it's done a lot of ways. I know um, I had a buddy that was the receiver coach for Houston. And Herman started doing it. And then Applewhite tried to carry it over. And everybody on staff was in charge of a certain package. And my buddy had – he was he was goal line pass and third long and so, uh, but, you know, Applewhite, maybe to his credit, discredit, whatever, you know, he'd get on there and he'd ask him, "What, what is it? And he would tell him, and that was the play they used. Hmm. So, but I don't know how good of an example is that since he got ran out of town. <laughs>
2: he, he didn't hang around. Didn't get, didn't get to hang around.
1: Uh callin plays,
2: uh, pros, cons, what's your preference, uh, booth or sideline?
1: Man, this one's always funny. It's like when you're in the booth, it's nice, it's relaxed. You can spread out, have all your notes up, you know, post things everywhere. And then, you know, when you're on the sideline, it's it's like Vietnam out there, you know, compared to it. Um, You know, again, I always have all these little sayings. I remember people saying, I always make little notes about it. And Coach says, you know, like when you're in the the box, um, you're just, you're laid back and you're just watching. And when you're on the sideline, it's like the scene from Dumb and Dumber, and he's like, "Our pets' heads are falling off, and everything's so intense, and 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 every little you know second matters." But in the box, like it still gets intense up there, uh, but not quite the same. Yeah. You know, you get your your Dr Pepper, your whatever, sitting up there, in your bottle of water, and and, and going. But um, I just I like feeding off the energy of the kids too much. I, I just that that's what I love. That's what I feel like I'm good at. And because, like, I will tell people all the time, like when I was in the box a lot when I was a receiver coach, a lot because you're you're the you're the coverage guy, mm-hmm. so you're sitting up there just constantly yeah. studying the, the coverages. And you know, kid makes a big play that you've been coaching coaching their butts off all week, and you don't get to go tell them get excited with them until halftime. Well, by that time, we might be getting blown out, might be blowing them out. They might have messed up in like four them. plays, you know. Yeah, the the moment's gone. And and so that that part, um, I just, I love that part of it too much. I just, I was in the box at the beginning of the year and I just, you know, made a switch and I just trusted somebody to help with coverages and, and it, it was a lot better. Uh, and I do enjoy, as a quarterback coach, I definitely do, I believe, you know, it's definitely more important to be able to talk to them. Um, yep. Especially young, especially younger quarterbacks. There's no doubt. I've had years where I've had three-year starter. That kid, I was telling you that was at 14. Well, by the time he became a senior, you know, it. I could have been in the box if I wanted to. Yeah. If I was responsible for that, because by that time, you know, he had seen, done everything. I wasn't in a in-game situation. There wasn't a whole lot I was going to tell him because he had seen everything. You know, so, yeah. Um, but I, I, j- I'm a grump I'm a field guy, yeah. Uh, but I do. I, I will say this. And I don't know. We have talked about this before. When you're calling plays, I, I understand when they want to be at the bo- in the box because you. Yeah. Can, it's easier to be organized up there. Like, I know everybody loves Sark. To me, the most impressive thing Sark does is calls that calls a great game and be on the field. I mean, just to be that organized and you're spread on your sheet, and again, you know, maybe you got. Uh, more communication on the headset, of trusting guys, but um, I when guys go up to call, it it makes sense to me because yeah. a lot of them do it, you know, because there's just so much going on on the field. Sometimes not needed, <laughs> but it's right, just right. down there.
2: Well, you know, I, I like to nest, right? So you have all the notes out, and and uh, that thing that like uh, if I don't consciously think about it, I'm gonna forget about it. You, you make a note, right. And that's the sticky that you put on next your next drive sheet or whatever it is. Uh, that's harder to do on the, uh, you know, on the sideline, but, uh, but in the booth, uh, you know, in the box, you certainly can talk about recruiting. And, and you mentioned, uh, you know, having players recruited, uh, talk about that process and, and, and damn, that's gotta be pretty cool, right. When you've got a, a player that's being recruited uh, by a college.
1: Yeah. And, um, it's it's pretty cool when you get to see um, the coaches come by, and co watch practice. Spring practice is usually the big one. That's when you get most of them because it's open season and they're getting ready. Is that April and when it opens back up, and so they can all get out on the road. Um, now they have the Saban rule where the head coaches can't get out on the road as much anymore. So that's kind of been, you know. But it, I mean, there's been days where, you know, we've had. Big time, uh, DCs, OCs show up from you know Texas, Alabama, whatnot. And man, you, you coach a little harder that day. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you're getting into it sometimes, and and even the coaches sometimes will, or the kids will be like, "Coach, are you just doing that because such and such is over oh. there." Like, yeah, 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 man, and you should be playing harder because he's over there too. Nice. Um, you know, uh, so and, and and selfishly, you know. Feels good when one of them's like, Hey, you're doing a great job, or this and that. And, yeah. um, you know, one of the um, best compliments I ever got, not that you asked, but I'll give it to you, is uh, Sean Bell, the quarterback coach at Baylor now. He was out um, recruiting one of ours, and uh, quarterback missed through. And I went over there, talked to him real quick, sent him back in there, and he goes, Coach, you're doing a great job. That's exactly what I would have told him. Um, how i have you been coaching quarterbacks and that time? I was like, It's my first year. And uh, he was like, well, keep doing what you're doing and whatnot. And so I've and got to talk to Sean about some throwing mechanics and whatnot. Nice. Um, but yeah, it makes you, it, it, it gives you a little, a little jolt selfishly. And then for the kids, you're just so excited for them. Um, you know, I've spent, that's another thing that probably at the high school level is, you know, on staffs, we make those kids highlights videos because the kids are they'll stick the worst highlights on there and <laughs> those highlight videos. That ain't going to get the kid a scholarship, but it's going to get that coach to sit down and yeah. look even more into that kid. So you make the little highlights and you have to make it from a coach's perspective. What is he like? What is, you know, it can't just all be catches or just throws like he needs to see the guy moving in the pocket, you know, yeah. from quarterback standpoint. And so then they'll see this two, three minute. Well then your goal at that time is to get that coach to write that kid's name down on his notepad. And then when he writes it down, then he'll go back and ask for more film and study some more and look at it more Then he'll come back and want to talk to the kid. Um, so that's kind of how that process goes for the, the under the rocks kids. And that happens a lot more than people probably realize. Um, you know, Alabama doesn't have to find people under the rocks. Um, even, you know, the Josh Jacobs stories, those kind of, you know, handed to them, they still did their background. I'm not taking anything away from them, but you know, somebody tipped them off to it. Um, but a lot of those like smaller schools or FCS schools or lower level power five schools, they'll come in there and they'll ask you and you'll show them the highlight video and, and they'll get intrigued. And sometimes, you know, you, you can help that kid. The kid does it himself, but um, you can spark that that interest for him and, and whatnot. And usually during the dead period, um, they will contact the either head coach, position coach or coordinator. Just kind of depends how the school's set up. Uh, how the head coach wants it ran, um, you know the kind of keeping contact, tell that kid, help them out. You know, driven plenty of kids to camps to get them seen uh, that the coach wanted them there um, for whatever reason. But um, yeah, it's a it's definitely exciting for the kids, and um, it's it's been um, it's it's a fun thing. My first couple of years at the lower level didn't happen a whole lot. Yeah, uh, we had some juco's coming in, but you know the five A and six A level in Texas. Like I said, you I mean, we had half a Utah staff down one year uh, watching, ironically, um, shout out Charlie. Minnesota used to come down all the time and get Woodlands kids um, in, down in that North Houston area. Um, I know what, what's his name for for the Bucks. He was from North Houston that Minnesota got out of there, Winfield, and uh, his brother played close by and they got him. So and that's the other thing. It's funny, and you've and I think you it was you that asked this question. Is like what schools hit what area? Yeah. um, Too, and you really start to see that year after when you stay in one spot, is certain schools are just going to come even if you don't really have somebody. Like you got anybody in the pipe, you know, down the pipe that would would, would be for us.
2: Talk about that, and, and and this may be where you're going. We all hear, you know, a, a college coach, uh, new head coach takes over, and uh, well, the first thing he's got to do is go build relationships with with the high school coaches. What does that look like? What 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 does that look like? That relationship building exercise. He can't go sit down and have beers with everyone. Like what's what does it look like? You know, practically.
1: The best example I can give you is probably when Matt Rule took over at Baylor. Um, Sark's probably not a good one at Texas. Cause again, he fishes in a different pond. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but so Matt rules to me is a great example because, um, he's coming from temple. So not like Sark coming from Alabama. So he's coming from temple and has no ties to Texas and he he's at conventions and and look, sometimes he'd go by shake your hand and he's already moving on to the next guys. He's shaking, but he was at everything. Um, he would go to all the major cities and they would do free clinics where he'd bring his whole staff for two hours and sit up there and ask questions. And he was just always visible and viable. Um, and then the other thing that helps in you know, some people kind of shrug their eyes on it, but it, it works, especially here, is like when he was at Baylor, he hired uh, McGuire, who had won state championships in the Dallas Fort Worth area, who's now the head coach at tech. Um you know, he hired one, uh, Kellen Mond's old high school head yep. coach from the San Antonio area. Um, he, did Nebraska, he just took the Nebraska job and he hired a head coach from the DFW area that had been there 17 years. And he hired um, the state, ours is called the UIL, but it's our association that uh, basically governs all the extracurricular activities from football, the one-act play and all that stuff. Hired that president to go be chief of staff um, to try to build, um, relationships. And so Will's is usually the best example I can give you um, because I, I literally watched him have no connections and, and work his way through the state. And, um, you know, the head coaches make a break where a kid goes, no, nor should they. Um, but it helps when you have those relationships for twofold with that, with the high school coach, because one, he'll help you line up and you know it's more a be honest with you you know sometimes to the kids detriment sometimes not and then the other thing is once they know and establish that trust and it's like hey man i ain't got anybody for you this year but in two years you're going to be wanting that kid yeah uh, whenever you can come talk to him go talk to that kid get that kid to your camp that's the kid you need that to me is probably the that's where the high school head coach is yeah is pretty you know, important, especially um, again, the way our state rules are. I can't speak for all the other states, but, and then on the lower level real quick, Dave, you know, as kids that just want spots to play, you know, calling all over the place um, to try to get them seen or try to get them in or try to get them to come get a look at them, uh, this and that, um, especially has been uh, harder the last couple of years to try to get, get kids on and whatnot, um, but, but that, that, that happens as well. Um, you'll know, again, that connection thing, you, they yeah. trust you and so they'll listen to you because um, it's hard sometimes when you know, you have a kid that's a knuckle, maybe, you know, worse than a knucklehead because we're all, we're knuckleheads, it's teenage boys, but where you like, you hate to do it to the kid, but you know, you're like, Hey coach, I, I don't think you probably should offer him and, or, you know, you're going to be fighting it up. He'll battle with them the most polite way you can, but then you earn that trust. And and maybe that kid's got to learn a hard lesson, but it's going to help your other kids in the program later down the road.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. I, you know, I think you're, you are maybe sort of poking at this a a little bit, uh, talk about the, the transfer portal, uh, maybe the extra COVID year. What impact do you see that, uh, recruiting at the high school level?
1: So it has been, and look, here's the thing, um, it's not going to affect those top 300 kids. Like those kids are, those kids are the gold standards, all your five stars and most of your four stars. Those kids have no problem. Um, It's your three stars and lower. And, and, you know, sometimes as Alabama fans, don't have to worry about those guys. But I was thinking about this the other day uh, after I saw it. And uh, it's, if the transfer portal existed a few years ago, Dave, does does Josh Jacobs happen? Does Mac Jones happen?
2: Right. You
1: know, I really I don't know the answer to that. Um I couldn't remember. I was gonna see if you can remember. Um early in Saban's year, one of those line, I don't can't remember if it was uh Vallejos or Johnson, but one of them was a three star guy yeah. that got in that was a late ad because they needed a body. I think Vallejos, I think it was William Playhouse. Okay. So um, you know, in I don't know if those happened because you know, with the transfer portal, instead of taking Mac, maybe you just grab a transfer to fill your depth needs and then Mac yeah. doesn't develop and he goes and plays somewhere else. Um, you know, with Josh Jacobs, maybe you take a transfer as a scat back, you know, Jamar gives, and you don't have to, you know, you don't get the three star back. Maybe you do, maybe you don't, I don't know. We'll never know the answer, but like, that's kind of something I was thinking about, you know, the, those are the yeah. kids that are affected. Um, and and i know like some pushback has been well it's a numbers game so when those kids leave there you, you know you still got a certain set of numbers of kids that want to play well the problem you're seeing is those that trickle down is yes the, a lot of those kids are still getting opportunities but they're on the D2 to D3 level now they're not FCS they're not FBS yeah. um, you know and definitely not in the power again power 5 is power 5 but that's the big deal. Now, yes, with the transfer portal, you know, Florida State's doing a good job of it. Can you go at a lower level, shine, and, and have a chance to move up? Yes, you can. But, you know, even then, you're still only seeing it at the lower D1, you know, the F, uh, yeah. FCS level. Um, uh, Commerce, AM Commerce up here, the just small division one. Um, I think Arkansas signed their receiver. Uh, Is one, you know, you're, you're seeing that, but like if there's a kid that's probably, let's say he should go play at, name your Sam Houston, okay, or wherever. Um, they just pop my head and you're, that kid's good enough to play there, but then they're banking on transfers and whatnot. Well, now that kid gets pushed to D2. How many programs are looking at the D2 level to grab that kid out of the portal? Yeah. You know, maybe he can pop back up to the, you know, FCS level. Uh, the best example I can give you, though, is, is the JUCO level. So for the longest time, Dave, since you played, since I played, since it, all of us played the JUCO, yes, they make the the TV show, The Last Chance U, and all that. And those, you know, the made for TV is the guy that you know is the bounce back from the D one. But those programs forever and ever have been built on seventy five to eighty percent high school kids that a tick too short tick too slow didn't take care grades uh, didn't take the SAT um, a lot of grade issues disciplinary problems this and that but they were high school kids and the last two years I cannot tell you good JUCO programs bad JUCO JUCO programs all JUCO programs we're not taking high school kids we're going to take about two And, and this and JUCO with the numbers can take high class like high number classes and um can be Pell Grants and stuff like that where it's not necessarily having to get them all on scholarship and they're like, oh you can walk on, you know, and, and this and that. And that's probably that level to me has been the biggest change where they're just JUCOs they're taking nothing but bounce back transfers now. And to me that's been the the biggest game changer of that. Um you know we had two young men that were in my mind, you know, and, and I guess you bias of your players, FC, you know, FCS players, and man, it was hard. You call everybody and, and getting them, and coach, you like them, but really like these kids in the portal better. And so it, it, it's just, you know, and so good for D2. You know, some of those D2 programs are going to get really good players, and the NFL will find you wherever. That's not necessarily the issue, but, um, I feel like you could see some really good Division three schools yeah. in a few years because this trickle-down effect. And, you know, it's kind of like the old adage with the trickle-down economics. You know, it yeah. trickles down. Well, what if that first bowl ends up getting too big where nothing trickles down from it? And so that's what I'm fearful of. I'm not saying that'll happen. And, you know, we still have COVID kids in there um, working on six and seven years that you're battling for um, with your high school kids. Um, to try to be out, you know, you can't blame the coaches. Proven commodity, unproven commodity, um, so it makes sense. But I, w- I would say right now, the biggest impact is at that D two and JUCO level that you're really seeing seeing that happen.
2: It's interesting because you know Saban's always had success pulling a couple of JUCOs, and uh, and we've always you know sort of our you know on the podcast and, and the group we've always kind of said and there's a reason for it. If Sabin grabs a JUCO. Count on that guy contributing. Uh, it's it's rare that they don't. And so it might be interesting to see that the guy that's a really good player, but just it takes him two years to sort of grow up and get his grades right. Um, I don't want to say they will lose their opportunities, but they may not have as many opportunities as of the, as they've maybe had historically. Some of those, goes, those guys go on and, you know, have great success even beyond. So uh, that might be an interesting, you know, sort of ripple effect to see uh, how that plays out uh, over time.
1: Yeah, that because those kids out of high school that maybe didn't take care of their grades and and look <clears> you should probably take care of your grades that's a good life lesson, but you know it, it's also nice that if you screw up at sixteen and seventeen years old you know eighteen years old you can go somewhere play and have yeah. two years to right your mistake, um, you know and the and the bounce back's a good story too I mean DJ Petway is always the one that comes yeah. to my mind screws up goes down and I'm pretty sure they won the national championship and he was on the team the year before or two years before they started filming at, at scuba down yeah. there. Um and, you know, cause him and um, what's this, the idiot from old Miss Kelly that were on that team when they won and then bounced back, you know, like love that story. But, you know, that was a kid that made a mistake, had to go down, yeah. come back up. Um, you know uh, what was the DB that Alabama had a few years ago, got nothing out of high school, goes to JUCO. And then comes out and, and, you know, I think a lot of his was grades too. Gets his grades together. Saban comes and plucks him. I think think it was Blue, if I remember correctly. I know he was a DB. Didn't get much out of high school because of grades. And then, you know, learned his lesson, got his grades up, graduated from Alabama, played two years in the SEC, pretty sure he won a national championship. Uh, I I think you'll see less of those stories and more of maybe Petway-type stories are you know unfortunately nowadays it's just if you don't play you know it'll mm-hmm. transfer down there so they can because the value of commodities we kind of talked earlier and you hear it if you ever watch those shows film 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 i need yeah. film i need game tape i need film and so a lot of times you get these kickbacks of kids that it isn't because they messed up or they didn't take care of their grades or they went to the wrong bar on the wrong night right or this and that it's it's just they're looking to get film. And so that's, to me, that's changed it so much.
2: That's interesting. I think about, you know, James Carpenter, Isaiah Bugs, you know, players like that. uh, And then there's a couple of JUCOs in uh, this year's recruiting class. Uh, Talk about, you know, you've talked about your career and sort of the upward mobile that you've had in, in your career. Uh, You know, talk about movement within the high school ranks, networking, interviewing, uh, or or, you know, just, you know, jump to like maybe the big target jumping right across the Rubicon, if you will, uh high school into into college, you know, as Alabama fans, we might not be the biggest fans of of a Malzahn or, or a Freeze, but uh you guys like secretly like really, really like those guys because what they represent.
1: So I thought about putting this in the group, but so secretly uh, during the playoff game, man, there are a bunch of high school coaches, especially in Texas, were loving TCU in in the Michigan game because the defensive coordinator from TCU was a high school coach um, that was at a power, a smaller power too, not even the 6A level. It was about 4A level and worked his way up and from Tulsa. And uh was a position coach at Tulsa, then DC at Tulsa, and then got the job um at TCU. And we were and we were all just loving it that he was kicking the NF former NFL coach's ass. And then his defense was out shining the yeah. former, you know, NFL position coach's ass too. And so we love we, we did secretly love that. Um Sauer, he has not <laughs> he's had a terrible last eight years, but like um chad morris was another big one yeah um yeah. when a couple of state champions produced all the that string of great quarterbacks todd reeseen at kansas uh gilbert at texas um that we saw in the rose bowl um uh, that year he had all those guys in high school goes to clemson um unfortunately taught clemson how to do a goal line pick on the goal line um did all that, you know, but in, in, then, of course, he's kind of fallen from grace. He tried to come back to a high school power here and ended up resigning after a year, so I don't know what he's up to now, but he used to be one for a while, but yeah, you do kind of secretly um, root for those guys, at least the ones that you kind of know or, you know that yeah. are good good people and, and whatnot, so um, but yeah, the the TCU one, it's funny you said that. I'd met the guy a couple times when he was recruiting um, for Tulsa, and, and so, great guy. I mean, I think I I was like I'll take him to DC at Alabama, <laughs> um, even yeah. though I know the system's a little different. But um, fiery guy, but yeah, I definitely. Of course, I'm not the biggest Michigan fan either. So I, I def we definitely there was a huge group of us that loved loved watching that. So
2: Jordan, you got to come. But to me. kind of answer you, yeah, yeah, go well, ahead. I was going
1: to say, oh, uh, moving up. Uh, I had a couple. So I have a weird kind of coincidence that I graduated. Um, high school and played with played with four of my buddies that are all division one coaches and so when you ask like what's it like moving up um it's just it's it's a lot of sacrifice i had one of them it's like hey man i need to sleep on your couch and oh by the way i can't pay rent because i'm not getting paid to break down film Mm -hmm. and like so you're gonna come and use all my amenities and i have to (laughs) cover you um you know and, and but That's kind of why I said that to start it, you know, when I said do it the right way. And that's not a shot at anybody that gets to skip a few levels. I just think you learn more doing it that way. And and that guy, we stay in contact, and you know, whether it's recruiting or just being buddies, shooting the crap. But, you know, it's like I watched that guy go from a couch, you know, to coaching in an FCS championship game to – getting a big break in D1 to a congressman running out his head coach. And so the new guy comes in and cleans house and then happened to go to the two lowest levels of staying in, in FBS, but having right. to go to two of the worst five programs back to back years, right. having to move his family and wife and kids that are the same age as my kids across country, um, you know, and try just trying to live out the dream of, of getting to a power five school. Um, You know, I've had ones where dad has been successful in the college level and at the NFL, and he really wouldn't he wouldn't let his son use him as a reference because he wanted to earn his way up. Mm. And he's just now gotten as an analyst at, you know, at a uh, group of five school, but he was bobbed around from JUCO. He was on the last chance you at on the opposing teams in Kansas ran the Kansas circuit was at a school in New Mexico i never even knew existed when he told me he got a job there. I was, it was one of those, you're like, congratulations. Right. And, and so just, um, you know, and, and, and so, yes, it, it would be, it would be nice, but it's kind of one of those things that you really want to get into it and get going. There's no doubt and I, I don't say this is trying to come off. Um, you know, conceited or anything, but like there's lots of those type jobs that'll get posted at D2 levels, sometimes JUCO levels that, you know, you know, in your heart of heart, you'd probably, they probably at least interview you based on experience, but it's like, do I want to take my wife and two kids and live in a dorm and make $25,000 a year when I already love what I do. Right. And And so that's always kind of the big thing. And so then you're kind of cherry picking, you know, good jobs that are super, super competitive and, and things like that. And, so if I have shot for ones, I've tried to shoot for any type of like recruiting assistance or um, I've even tried to get to the film eval game, you know, maybe at a, at a night, at a big, bigger ish program, you know, you take a pay cut, but you work your way up to the film eval. Yeah. You know, um, I, I think of those guys that, you know, um, Belichick had hired, they started this film evaluation guys and they liked how they did their films. they gave them an analyst and then, so Go so I've tried to be somewhat realistic uh, about things like that, and, and so that, that that's kind of a path because man, I'm telling you, it, if you're starting from the ground, it, it it's hard. Um, yeah. And the other thing that helps is a lot of those a lot of those guys. If you don't know anybody to get a GA job to get your foot in the door, that's another one. The one chance that I, I had one time, and you know, I don't regret it, but you always kind of look at life and you think, what if? Is um I had a chance to be one of the student managers and and finish up at um, Arkansas for Houston nut uh, my parents were, were living in their neighbors were in the basketball program and new nut Houston Nut very well so I got a professor at Houston up there and um, and, and so I had the chance and I and I'd already you know I'd already had my set I set and heart set on you know going Capstone grad school and, yeah. and then I want to get back to the state of Texas and and do high school football because you know those guys a lot of times they'll put in their time and work even as a, a manager, and, and so the coaches will give them a shot as a GA or whatnot. Um, yeah, I knew a kid that started as that and got up to like a special teams analyst and then just all whole way. But uh, right. you know, so it it does happen. But you've got if you're going to start like that, you've got to know somebody from the ground up. If not, it, it it's just it's a grind. Yeah, it really is.
2: Let's take an Alabama turn. Let's go deep into uh, Alabama, uh Alabama offensive coordinator Tom Reese, uh Tommy Reese uh hired last uh Friday afternoon, I think was the breaking news. I think there was one place on the planet where at 6 a.m. you could have started getting Tommy Reese film breakdowns. And uh that was on that was in our chat, right? Because he started breaking down. I wake up and the first thing I read. I'm about to, I'm about to break down their bowl game and their Clemson game. And, and, uh, you know, by the time I get my first cup of coffee, you've got a handful of pictures that you've sort of broken down, uh, the image. So you've done some work on, uh, Tommy Reese. Talk about, you know, talk about what you saw, what you like, maybe questions you still have.
1: Well, let me just preface about a lot of this, you know, it's just kind of guessing and and just what I see from, from my level, um, and whatnot, no expert on the matter or anything, but just, um, Mm -hmm. So full disclosure, when he first got hired, I was like, "Eh." I I wasn't overly excited about it. Um, But, you know, just being in the profession, it's like, you know what, let me go see and watch what he did. And because I knew Notre Dame was kind of average at best. Now, I did cherry pick two of their best games. And and the other thing that kind of struck it, Dave, was I was um, I don't remember where I was reading about it. And somebody had made fun of the hire or whatnot. Um, it was a prominent college football guy. And a couple of Notre Dame fans go, well, did you not watch the Clemson in the bowl game? And I was like, well, these are Notre Dame guys going to bat for him. Yeah. You know, I need to check those two games out. The first thing that I, I just was enamored with and loved because I think that the offense has been missing it was the motions, just the motions and shifts. I was starting by charting. And it got so damn hard to chart how many motions and shifts they had. I just started counting which place they did motion and shift um, because it was easier to do that. And I, and I think that's something that, um, you know, we missed from the Sark days and Kiffin days Yes. and, you know, Bob's never had to do it. You know, Bill O'Brien's never had to do it and uh, I've got a theory on that in just a minute. Um, but that, that was the thing was the shifts and the motions. And then the other thing I loved was Notre Dame's the best player is the tight end and, they moved that guy around, and they blocked him. They hit him in the flats. Um, they made that, the quarterback very comfortable um, in, that, in that situation, especially in that Clemson game. And Clemson's D-line is full of NFL guys, and um, I get that Venables isn't there anymore, but I can't tell you how – like, I would watch, and I was like, man, Clemson is just – these run fits are terrible. And, yes, some of it might be on the kids, but every time you motion that tight end, that bumps everybody's running gap assignment, their run fits. And so, at the end of the day, they're 18, 19, 20-year-old kids, and so they're coming in. And um, there was one beautiful play, I should have marked it, where they motion the tight end, and then when they come in and throw it, you see the safety and the linebacker both hit the same gap, and the running back says, nope, and goes to the gap where there's not a run fit and goes down for, like, 25 30 yards. And, you know, to me, that was all set up by the motions that he had used to change the formation, to change the defense's um, alignment and what the responsibilities were. Uh, So those were the big things that I saw on that one. And then the, you know, if anybody listening, if you want to feel better about it, again, go watch the Clemson game and then go watch the the bowl game against South Carolina when he had a starting quarterback, because even in the Clemson game, tight ends running right down the field throws it to the wrong side of the hash crossers wide open and he misses it um you know so there was some limitations and to me that's like that was the fun part about watching it because I'm watching I go I don't really give a crap what the quarterback does I'm looking at the concepts trying to you know see how that'll blend in but my big takeaway and and you always do a good job of pointing this out that I felt like is and sometimes we kind of lose sight of is watching those two games I felt like when Sabin made this hire, he said, these are all the things I want to be better at. And all the things I want to be better at, Reese has showed me that he's good at. And so, you know, that, and, and he, like we talked about, he's 30 years old. And I think it's kind of one of those things where he has a foundation of something that you can't coach, you know, that he has. And then some of his weaknesses are things that Saban probably feels like he can coach him yeah. to be better at vertical passing game can come, you know, that's hard to judge with not having the guy push it down the field, but you know, motions are hard. Shifts are hard because if you're not careful, you're just doing it to do it. And then you're doing the right. same one every time. So then it defeats its purpose. And, and so that's something to me, I always think the people that are able to shift in motion and do it at ease into their plays, and make it make sense, like, that's that's a gift. And, you know, you can kind of manufacture it a little bit, but it, it, it's a gift. Um, you know, I think about Gus, you know, at Auburn. Think about him. They do that sugar huddle. They run up to the line. This Then they motion across, and they'll motion again. And by the time, you know, how many times are those Alabama's so they're their linebackers, they're looking at right. you the wait. Did you have him or did I have him? And, and because everything has a purpose to why they're shifting and, and motioning. And sometimes it looks simple, but it's not. And and I was really impressed. Like they'd start off an empty tight end cover. I mean, that tight end was moving almost every single play um, into some. And and then again on the on the run fits and a lot of split zones that they did. So split zone is kind of like outside zone. So they think of it this way: the tight end is what uh, defensive coaches call a nub, but he's kind of in what well, you and I would probably old school wink is what he looks like. So the entire offensive line is stepping to the right. Well, then he cuts all the way back to the left, and he's responsible for the in-man of line of scrimmage. doesn't matter if it's defensive end or outside linebacker. And the running back takes two steps, reads the outside zone. If it's not there, then it's made for a cutback off that tight end. And Clemson, as aggressive as that defensive line was, he just kept killing them on split zone. Well, then he would motion him out from the quarterback and then line him up and run split zone that way out of a different formation. So he kept coming back to the split zone because Clemson kept being aggressive, uh, but he just motioned to it different ways, formationed it different ways. And so I think, um, you know, if you've missed the Alabama run game, I think it'll be back. And the beauty of the run game is, is man, if you can establish the run game, even a guy like me can call play action passes. Right. And, and so – at and I, don't, I think that's what we all kind of miss. And to me, that that's it. That's the beauty of, of the game. And then at that point, you're just, when do I call the play actions? And some of that's an art, and some of that is, you know, you've got the defensive mastermind as your head coach being like, my defense is vulnerable now, Now, call, you know, that can kind of help him and help chart those situations of when to do that. But definitely I came away feeling a lot better about
2: it. Nice. Nice. You know, I like the idea of, uh, of the motion. Uh, I feel like we've really, as Alabama fans, we've really missed the motion from, from Sark. You know, Bob didn't do a, a, a whole lot of it. Now they're both, you know, offensive coordinators that brought uh, Heisman trophy winners to, to the Alabama offense. And so, you know, they both have had their, their measure of success very differently, I would say. And I think I, for my money, it feels like motion is a lot more of, of, of a college component uh, Sark was a wizard back there. It seemed like uh, with some of his motions and seeing seeing a little bit of that, uh, I'm super excited for. And I love the idea of run fits. I there's sometimes on the podcast where I really you know go go you know deep into or or you know sort of get lost in the conversation around. Uh, and we saw it against Kansas State. Uh, just a little bit of a miss on a run fit, and they have an 80-yard touchdown. Years ago, uh, I still talk about the 80-yard touchdown that Virginia Tech had, Virginia Tech had because the middle linebacker was half a step out of everything else was accounted for perfect defense, except for half a step out of the way, 80-yard touchdown. And so, boy, and, and you're talking about that with now, not every missed run fit is going to be a long touchdown, but seven, eight, 12 yards, you start stacking those up. Like you said, the play action, play comes into um, uh pass comes into play. And so if you can start to, and you're playing averages, but if you can start to have the, uh, the opponent, with regularity, miss fits, boy, that to your point, that has to make for an easier day calling plays.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And the thing, um, real quick, that I, you know, I heard this and it made me think of the Bill O'Brien situation uh, with not as much motions is think about most of the guys he's ran his NFL offenses with Tom Brady, Deshaun Watson, didn't have to do a whole lot of motion. And it really stuck out to me when, um, and I don't, I'm not going to lie, you don't watch a ton of of NFL. I watch as much college as I can, is when, and I know some people don't like it, but Tony Romo brought up a fantastic point in the Bengals game, um, whereas with Joe Burrow, they weren't motioning. They were running two by two, two receivers on each side, running back, flipping sides, and Burrow was just calling it and finding the matchups and calling it. And I think a lot of the times in the NFL, those guys are either super motioning or they're just two by two, let the quarterback outmaneuver and outthink what the defense is. And when he said that, it just like clicked. And I was like, well, what did they always do with Tom Brady for forever at New England? Two by two, you know, and they just went. And, um, you know, even some of the when they motioned Edelman and all that stuff, that wasn't Bill O'Brien. You know, that was Josh McDaniel. By yeah. that time, when Bill yeah. O'Brien was there, they were two yeah. by two and out. You know, in those Texans games, living in Houston, remember watching of them. Same thing with Deshaun, two by two, let him make it. If not, he's going to take off and run. Um, you know, there wasn't a lot of having the motion. That's not a knock on him. Um, if you have guys that can sit in there in two by two, then, then go for it. But that, you know, that makes you very, very predictable because then the defense knows where to line up every single time. You're not making them. You're not making them think. Um, and I'm not trying to call the guy simplistic. I mean, I think he's still, you know, if you look at his points for games and all that stuff, it yeah. was still way up there. You know, it we get a little bit spoiled, but at the same time in the college game with the hashes being wider, you're going to, you just got emotion. You, you just have to because um, you can spread those guys out and create way more space with the hashes being wider than you can in the NFL with those narrow hashes. And so I know that's an easy answer, but it's true. Because with the narrow hashes, the ball's basically in the same spot. You know, how many NFL games I feel like I watch at the end of the year when my season's over and the whole side of the field is just torn up, you know, because they can play a lot more out there than you're caught. Whereas the college you're playing sideline to sideline with those wider hashes. And so you've got to be able um, to take advantage of that. And that's another thing that I noticed in that Clemson game that um, Reese did it was a lot of condensed formations. They bring those guys in. Okay. And then pin and pull and and get those guys out to the outside because you can do that with the with the wider hashes and because you create more space on the field. So that's kind of again one thing. And I think uh, we talked about it one Saturday morning on the Zoom. It's like the problem was we had Kiffin A plus play caller, Stark A plus play caller, and then you have Bob who's B plus A minus, you know, still really, really good. Hey, you know, it's what sort of kind of side note. I always joke with the kids when you know high school kids would be like, "Ah, oh, coach, blah 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 is trash. He he's trash, a quarterback." And I'm like, guys, y'all realize at the beginning of every year, there's 67 people in this world that can claim to be an NFL quarterback. I said 67 yeah. out of billions of people. I said so. Even though you think he's trash, I said A, his mom loves him, and B, he's one of only 60 to 70 people right. this year that can That's do true. do what he's doing, and. And, and so sometimes – and again, I, I thought change was needed to add the more emotion into the offense. Um, my one criticism with, with Bill O'Brien won't be like certain play calls and this yeah. and that. It's, I, I felt like with, with Gibbs, you could emotion Gibbs a lot more yeah. um, than what he did. Um, and, and if you think about it, at the end of the year, when did those best results come? When he was on the sa- field, same time McClellan was. Yes, and and to me, that 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 should be your offensive coordinator's dream. Here's Alvin Kamara Jr. Right, yes. and then you still got your stud in the backfield, sure, and, and you Alvin. can use them. You can you can put them side by side on the quarterback to help Bryce out. That would probably be my biggest beef of him, as I just felt like he could have used Gibbs as a gadget, move him around. Um, percy Harvin like even yeah. um you know when when you think about um some of those offenses,
2: Jordan, I've taken a lot of your time tonight, and this is just this is incredible. This has just been a lot of fun. Let me get you out on here just a couple couple, maybe a couple quickies from the perspective of a coach what what do you appreciate most or or least uh, about Saban? not as a
1: fan, as a coach? I think, you know, it, it's pretty well documented. I, you know, I feel like it's a boring answer An answer everybody probably already knows is the easiest one for me is adaptability. You know, it's yeah. like if saving could change, then if he changes, then I need to change, you know, or I need to yeah. be ready for personal growth and the change. And I think we all talk personal growth, but, you know, how many of us are actually willing to do it? And, and so that that's kind of one of those things where I always look at, you know, um, when something's different, you know, he, he, he was able to do that. And basically, you know, his program is, is continuing to roll because of it. The, the other thing I would, I would say with him is just setting that standard and being that meticulous every single day. That is ridiculously hard. That is ridiculously hard. Yes. Is ridiculously hard. Yes. And I don't know how he said it. Cause there's some days you're just like one of those kids just like, yeah, whatever. And he holds them – and it's not him, but he holds them to that exact same standard every single day. Every single day. And that is, that is just crazy hard.
2: That is. All right, let me get you out. Uh, last question. Uh, Super Bowl, who you got?
1: Man, I, I, it's hard. Texas guy, I have to go with Patrick Mahomes and, uh, in Kansas City. Um, I hate to go against Jalen Hurts, uh, you know another Texas guy, they're making a big deal about the two Texas quarterbacks uh, being in it. Um, so, but I, I just, you know, and it's no knock on Jalen there, but I, I think Kansas City's probably a little bit more complete. Not to be fair, I've only been watching since the playoffs. Um, I'll be rooting like heck for both of them. I'd probably rather see Jalen win it more since he hasn't won one and, and, you know, Channel View, shout out to View, Houston, Texas. But, um, you know, i I've always I've always enjoyed Mahomes. Um it, it's funny, there's some guys from that little little town kind of East kind of East Texas that Mahomes from. Um knew his head baseball coach and David, one of those guys, you know Patrick, Patrick, throws throw the ball well, hit that baseball, like <laughs> those type of guys. And yeah. you know, I've never changed and whatnot. So um I just I don't know. I just have funny feeling, um, if Mahomes is healthy. Um I just feel like they're a little bit more complete, which I know is kind of crazy to say awesome season that Phillies had, but I will I will definitely have a rooting interest for, for, for Jalen, especially since Mahomes already has one. But um if you're making me put my own money on it, I'd put it on Kansas City.
2: It's it's hard to bet against uh Mahomes. Uh you know we've got Smitty and Dickerson uh over there for uh, you know, for the Eagles. So there's a there's a couple of them over there. Jeff Stoutland, uh offensive line coach, is a defensive player, name escapes me. Uh I think Josh Jobs over there, is that right? But uh there's a couple uh a couple of guys, and so it's fun to see the Alabama players uh over there. And um and Mahomes is just he's such a treat to watch anyways. Just he, he's a talented player.
1: And i and I'm not gonna lie to you, as a Texas person, it, it's hard to root for anything for Philadelphia. I mean <laughs> <Well>. <laughs> I'm with you.
2: I'm with you. I can appreciate that. Jordan, I'm going to tell you, buddy, uh, this has been a blast Uh, talking all sorts of ball, lots of great discussion and just and just putting the topic out there and letting you just educate us on it uh, has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much uh, for sharing your time with us tonight and uh, uh, and educating us all a little bit more on the game of football.
1: Well, Dave, again, uh, I appreciate it. Uh, Like I said, uh, you know, been listening for a long time um 2011 2012 so um just i mean it's, it's really awesome to be on hope uh, hope somebody somebody got something out of it didn't ramble too much didn't put anybody to sleep um uh, other than my own kid but um <laughs> and again just super super appreciate for everything that you do for the podcast and for all of us i mean it, it's it's pretty unique community thing that you've built. Um, all day stuff, just just talking ball about uh, about the Crimson Tide. So I think that's pretty awesome that you've done and something really that you should be proud of. And I just, I'm very honored to be a part of it.
2: Fantastic. Jordan, we appreciate it. You have a great evening. And uh, what do we say? Roll Tide. Roll Tide. And we're back. Man, was I right? I mean, come on. That was incredible. Jordan is always a treat to listen to. Uh, he joins the the Zoom calls. Uh, virtual tailgates during the season—it's a little tough, right? Obviously, he's he's doing his thing, uh, but uh, when he's able to join us, uh, those are always just incredible calls. Uh, he did like a coaching clinic with us, uh, sort of like a quarterback camp. Uh, it was a couple of three hours last spring. It was phenomenal. He's always uh, a treat to 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 participate and uh, um, you know ha- have on have on the 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 tailgates. He's going to be. We're recording this on. Monday, the 6th, he's going to be on this weekend's uh, virtual tailgate. And if you're listening to this at the end of the episode and it's not yet Saturday morning and you want to participate, then uh, head over to alabamafootballpodcast.com podcast.com and uh, join the support team for $2 uh, a, a month. You can at least check it out, uh, which would include an access to Saturday's uh, Saturday's call. If it's after Saturday Saturday, then for the same two dollars, you can get the free recording of it. You can get a recording of it. Uh, we could do a lot of bonus recordings or raw recordings that uh, that are available in that group. And in fact, uh, mark your calendar. Today's the sixth. That that the night of the sixth that we record this. This will probably won't post to the public until Wednesday or Thursday. Uh, the folks that that are on the support group that uh, they get the raw versions. They're going to get this Monday night, and so they're going to get this days ahead of, of everyone else. That is true of every single recording we do. Uh, the interviews, the uh, the post-game breakdowns, everything we do, there's a raw version that goes sort of unedited uh, with all my mistakes, and, uh, and it's available, and you get it days early, and uh, so anyways... You know about that. We talk about that. It's available. If there's any questions, hit us up at uh, Alabama Football Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, go to the site, alabamafootballpodcast.com, and we'll answer any questions you got and uh, look forward to having uh, some folks on and um, some new folks. That'd be great. That'd be great. You can get to know and appreciate Jordan uh, for the awesome guy that he is, uh, sort of hands-on and personal. All right, that's what I got. Thanks for joining. It's been a blast. I appreciate you being here to the end uh, listening. Uh, You know what that means. It's been another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. Roll Tide. Thanks for listening to the Alabama Football Podcast. We love that you're tuned in and hope that you enjoyed the show. We encourage you to reach out and let us know what you like, where we can improve, or just to shout out a Roll Tide. We are where you are. iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, email newsletters, T-shirts, free roster downloads, and of course, on the web at alabamafootballpodcast.com. Check us out where you'll find easy links to your favorite way to follow the tie. Got that, coach? I- of course. Roll Tide.
0: What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving.